0: Good morning. All right, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 4 17 through 32. As you're doing that, I just want to recap. So far, we've been talking about in Ephesians the Trinity, prayer, boasting, unity, missions, ministry, and even suffering. Through it all, we've seen that the problem is always sin, and the answer is always Jesus. So, to begin, let's talk about sin. What is sin? There are two kinds omission and commission. Omission is where we do not do what we should, and commission is where we do what we shouldn't do. Sin includes our thoughts, words, actions, and motives. Commission is where you can quietly sit back and think, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't done anything wrong, because you wrongly think that sin is only about doing bad things but sin can also be failure to do the right thing. Sin includes entire ways of thinking, such as racism and adultery. Sometimes sin is also a legal crime, such as murder, but sometimes it's not, such as dishonoring your parents. It's hard to call the police on that one. It can be done deliberately or in ignorance. It can be done just once, occasionally, and even habitually. Back in the beginning of your Bible in Genesis 3, Adam's sin was one of omission. If you were to go up to Adam and say, do you do drugs? No. Do you drink? No. Do you look at bad stuff on the internet? No. Oh, so you're a pretty good guy? No. Because you're also not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not rebuking Satan. You're not lovingly leading your wife. You're not even defending your family, and you're certainly not taking responsibility. Or to say it as Proverbs 20, verse nine does, who can say that I have made my heart pure and I am clean from sin? The answer is none but Jesus Christ. Failing to do what, what we ought and rebelling against God and doing exactly what he told us not to do. We often ignore him and act as though he didn't even exist. Sin separates us from God through, fear, uh, through physical and spiritual death and it separates us from each other. The spiritual and practical problems of our lives are a result of sin. But there is good news. God, knowing this, came to the earth. His name is Jesus. He lived without sin. He died for those sins. He rose to conquer sin and death. And in Christ, our sins can be taken away. Once our sin is removed by Jesus, we are able to be in a right relationship with God. Because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything we've done. Now, we can be reconciled to God through Jesus and each other as the church. This is all done by God so that we can live the life he's intended us for, for us to live and to do the good works he's prepared for us to do. So there you go, there's my little intro on sin. But the question I had once I started thinking about that is why don't we experience the kind of life that God has intended? We all long for a life that matters, a life of purpose. And even the most introverted among us deeply desire to be in community with both God and others. As we've seen through Ephesians, the problem is sin and the answer is Jesus. So we're going to look at Paul's amazing metaphor. As you can see on the screen, the the putting on and taking off. It's fantastic. And I want you to think about it today as putting on and taking off of clothes. On with righteousness, off with sin. Every day, when you get dressed, you are assigning for yourself an identity. So you can see here I dressed up a little bit to give you the impression I have it together. It took a lot of effort. So you can choose a suit and tie or fancy dress, as my little girls are wearing today, or you can go for jeans and hoodie, sweatpants, or all the way down to that high school T-shirt with the bullet holes your wife uses, you know, to dust around the house. You laugh, but there hasn't been dust on your chest in like five years. So in this, in this section of text, Paul is saying that we as Christians clothe ourselves with sin or Christ. But if we're going to clothe ourselves with Christ, we have to take off the garments of sin. Trying to do one without the other is like an oilfield worker or auto mechanic leaving work with their dirty clothes on, putting a nice suit jacket on top and going out for the evening. It doesn't work. First, you you'd have to take off certain ways of thinking and acting, And put on new ways of thinking and acting. This is the daily walk of a Christian life. Today this is such a practical text. And I want you to come back here often. Not to the video. It's not about me. But to the text. When you're struggling with sin. And especially a recurring sin. Come back to Ephesians 4. Now today we can't go through all of your sin. So let's just pick one. One that is most urgent and paramount. Let the Holy Spirit tell you which one that is for you today. So I'll give you a second just to have a little moment with the Holy Spirit. Think of that first sin. Now already I know a little defense attorney has come out and suggested that you pick a different sin. (laughs) I know you love your little personal lawyer. They're on retainer 24-7, they're your number one fan. They never let you accept responsibility for anything. Anything you say, do, or think, or fail to say and do, those sins that may be separating you from God and others, none of that applies to you today. I'm kidding, obviously, so ignore the lawyer. Focus on that one sin. Because right now that lawyer is telling you that this is an old book. You're very intelligent. What translation of the Bible am I reading from? It's probably the wrong one. So hold on for a second as that lawyer prepares a brief. He does Google searches to show you how you're actually doing a really good job in life. Ignore the lawyer. Don't shift to another sin or think of someone else's sin. Don't nudge your spouse. Just deal with that one sin that the Holy Spirit brought to mind so that my time with you today has extreme practical value. So let's get into it. So I don't know what your one sin is. Is it drunkenness or maybe you're a pervert or a drunken pervert. There's gluttony, gossip, lying, adultery, theft. There's lots to go through. Don't yell it out, because that could make coffee time later rather awkward. So what we're going to do today is take Paul's statement in verses 17 through 19, and I want to ask you a bunch of questions to help you address that one sin that is habitual or paramount in your life. There we go. So question number one. Regarding your sin, is it silly, misunderstood, dumb, futile, or just plain wrong? The Bible shows us a direct correlation between what we think and what we do. Often we want to change what we do without changing how we think. And we need our minds renewed so that we can think as God thinks, as he's spoken to us through scripture, so that we can have our minds shaped by him and begin to think our thoughts after him. A lot of our sin can be traced back to wrong thinking about a certain issue. And often that little lawyer will come out and justify our sin and create an airtight defense as to why we are the exception, and we're not. We're just not. Kids, where are the kids today? Raise your hands. Oh, we got a nice little amount today. Why aren't you obeying your parents? Oh, I can hear your lawyers already. They never listen to me. They don't know what it's like to be young anymore. They never had internet. My dad's older than Google. <laughs> Gentlemen, why are you flirting with that woman who's not your wife? That is adultery. Well, my wife's cold. I never feel respected. She doesn't even pursue me, and she's not exciting anymore. Millennials. Hands up, millennials. All right, all three of you? (laughs) Stop illegally downloading movies, music, books, and programs. And I've often heard this because I used to say it, it's not illegal in Canada. No one gets persecuted. Everyone does it. It's almost the same thing as borrowing from a library. So we all have our little lawyers giving us all reasons why we are the exception. But the stuff that you're doing, you know that you know that you know it's wrong. And you don't have a reason, a biblical argument for it, but you are allowing yourself to be deceived, and so you stick with your sins. Number two In what way is your understanding of your sin getting darker? It's actually getting worse. Initially, you might consider what you're doing to be a sin, but you still consider it, you still convince yourself that it's justified. And over time, your reasoning will become more solidified to where it's no longer a sin or a vice, but now it's a virtue. But of course you say this because you're a brave person. Who could find fault with so many of your persuasive arguments? For example, and this is a harsh one, I once knew a guy who was using adult entertainment as a tool to keep his marriage together. Let that sink in for a second. He told me, well, she's not interested in being with me. So I just take care of myself so that I'm not a burden to her. Committing adultery is helping your marriage? He said, yeah, we don't fight. Because she actually believes that I'm satisfied. We get along so much better now, and we're still married. So isn't that the most important thing? No, I yelled. Being close to Jesus is the most important thing. Yes, obviously, the guy I was talking to said he was a Christian. And if you were close to to Jesus, you would be faithful to your wife. But the fact that you are nowhere, but the fact that you're doing what you're doing shows you're nowhere near Jesus. But people, this is how it works. You can legitimize, once you start legitimizing your sin, it just gets darker and darker. I told him, You're insane. Intimacy with your wife is the glue that binds your marriage together. If you're sticking yourself to thousands of other people, good luck but he had convinced himself that this was a really wise thing to do because he wanted to avoid conflict and conversations. The more you entrench yourself with sin, the darker your attitudes become, and you will legitimize almost anything and everything. Number three, how have you tried to separate this particular sin from God? And at first, I know that question sounds silly, but hear me out. Sometimes you guys do your sins in private as if God wasn't there. You close the door, leave the house, or even the city. You won't read certain parts of the Bible or the Bible at all because you want to stay in your sin and you don't want Jesus to shine his light on the issues. You actively avoid talking with believers who try to lovingly correct you. You hide like Adam in the garden. The more you take your sin and run towards it, rather than running towards Jesus, the greater the distance between you and God. And I know that sounds really obvious, and I questioned even putting it in here, but I want you guys to hear that this morning. Your sins are separating you from God and your family and friends. In what way have you made yourself more ignorant about the consequences of your sin? We don't say it out loud, but we do believe this to be true with our actions, and we play this little game. We say, we won't reap what we sow. There is no such thing as cause and effect. But the Bible says that we do reap what we sow and God will not be mocked. You, are, you guys are not an island unto yourself. And here's a great example I thought about. Everyone here today and listening online, close your eyes and think of your dad. Just do it for a second. Close your eyes and think about your dad. Now think about the mistakes he made and the sins you actually know about. And tell me that his choices never affected you. Don't think that your actions will not have consequences. They do. They always do. And we do this in varying ways and different degrees. And we say silly things like, I was sleeping with my girlfriend and she got pregnant. I can't believe it. You can't believe it. She's not Mary. Something happened and you were a part of it. I show up to work late every day and they fired me. This is discrimination. I've maxed out all my credit cards, and they actually expect me to pay them back. I thought they knew I have no money. Life is a total mystery. Is your heart hard and growing harder towards this sin? The first time you do that sin that you're thinking about today, remember, I want you guys to keep thinking about it, the Spirit of God was working through your conscience to convict you, but you kept doing it, and over time, your heart got callous about it, to where you started to think, yeah, it bugs me, but oh, sorry, it it bugs me, and I do regret that I did that, or said that, or thought that. To, no, it really doesn't bother me at all. And sometimes it can take you as far as you become an ambassador for that sin, and you encourage others to do it. And now that's your life's mission. And a fellow Christian come up to you and say, what about God? What about truth? What about life? What are you doing? And you say, I don't care. That's your interpretation. I know Dr. So-and-so who agrees with me, and this is how it is, and I'm fine with it. Stop pushing. You don't know me. That was a big one in the 90s. You don't know me. But your heart is so hard. It's like bullets off a rock. Nothing penetrates. We can pray with you, show you verses, encourage you, help you, weep with you, But your heart is so hard. If you have a high view of Scripture, you I'm sorry, you'll have a tender heart. If you have a very low view of Scripture, you'll have a hard heart. Proverbs 1 7 says, the fool despises wisdom and instruction. What I mean is this if you do have a very high view of scripture, you will humble yourself to its instruction without reservation. There are no excuses. But if you have a low view of scripture, you will edit it, ignore it, water it down to suit your lifestyle. And honestly guys, we all desperately need more courageous friends and preachers who use more direct words. And if those of you who are like me, who really prefer direct words, and sometimes even harsh words, We also need to learn to use soft words too. You need to learn to listen to your audience. Listen to your friends and family when they tell you you are being too harsh with your words. I can't talk to my 10-year-old daughter the same way I would talk to a 30-something guy. Tone matters. Don't water down the word of God, but learn to be sensitive to your audience. And when someone does approach you, learn to be sensitive, sorry, um, when, when someone approaches you with correction, Have a soft heart to hear them and humble yourself and repent. Otherwise, you're going to have this wall of pride where you claim you're not sinning and you don't have a hard heart, but pride is the worst sin of all. Don't act like you can be hard-hearted in one area and soft-hearted in another. You can either respond to Jesus arrogantly or humbly. That's it. Jesus is on the throne Or you are. There is no middle ground. Number six. Are you becoming more insensitive towards God and others because of your sin? God's plan is that we would love him and love others. God tells us in the Bible, this is what I want for you. And you respond, no, I want what I want. And your friends can come up and say, They can come up to you with all of their concerns and their love and their compassion for you. They want to see you do the right thing and you just scream, I don't care. I want what I want. This is so painful when it destroys marriages, hurts children, and separates churches because the consequences of sin don't only affect you. Over to your sin as though you were powerless to stop it. We are not innocent victims being led around by our desires. You are an image bearer of God. When you paint yourself as a victim, you can blame someone else. It's their sin and their problem, and when, but when you're a criminal, all you can do is repent and ask for mercy. But when you sin, you are responsible for your own actions. You guys are not victims. You are in control. And I tell my kids this all the time when they claim they are a victim of their own choices. You are not a victim. I almost expected all three just to say it right there. (laughs) You chose to do this. But we've also all been sinned against. Sometimes someone will steal from you, lie to you, betray your confidence, or abuse you. And many of you have been brutally sinned against. And I'm not diminishing anything from the real pain and hurts that you have experienced. Today, if you are here and hurting, come up after the service and talk with someone. You are not alone. You have a Father in Heaven who loves you. You have His Son Jesus who died for you and the Holy Spirit that wants to dwell within you and start the healing process. If this speaks to you and and those of you watching online... Talk to someone today and, re- and or reach out to your local church. So now we get to talk about Jesus, the good stuff. Why? Because we are the problem, not the solution. We need Jesus. We can all fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the reason we are here today. And we've already learned lots about ourselves, but now we need to learn some more about Jesus. Without Jesus, we're going to gravitate towards Um, legalism or moralism legalism uses a lot of rules and discipline to make you meet a very high standard of behavior but you're never going to be good enough and moralism teaches that as long as you don't do anything too horrific that hurts others, you're fine Jesus says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and you can be legalistic or moral and still go to hell The goal in life needs to be growing closer to Jesus and have intimacy with him. Every time you guys have a decision to make, whether ethical or anything else, please ask yourself, will this bring me closer to Jesus? Let that dominate your decision making. This could be the most practical part of my entire sermon. We want to do those things that bring us closer to Jesus not in a legalistic or religious way, but in a loving, committed way, like a husband and wife or child and parent. But if you just try to white-knuckle it, do it all by your own power, through morality, legalism, religion, then you're just going to end up exchanging one sin for another. You're going to end up going from gossip, rage, pornography, to pride, which, like I said earlier, is the worst sin of all. It's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Thinking that you've made spiritual progress, but now because of pride, you've actually made spiritual regress. Jesus and sin cannot co-mingle in your life. You can't run two directions at the same time. So stop focusing on your sin, and let's get our eyes back on Jesus. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So there's the question. Do you know Jesus. But wait, Mike, I thought we were just talking about sin. I I remember we were talking about that sin, the Holy Spirit. I just want to stop that one sin. Well, you better know Jesus. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no victory over sin. You have no ability to conquer your sin. But the good news is that his death on the cross has already done it for you. When Jesus cried out, it is finished from the cross, that was him defeating sin. Now you are free to walk in the freedom that he has already paid for. Do you know Jesus Christ? The problem with religion is that you can know a lot about Jesus, but never get to know him. Do you know him? Satan and demons know Jesus, and they tremble. But they don't love him. They don't trust him. They don't imitate him. They don't intimately love him. They just know about him, and there's a big difference. And the reality is that if you meet Jesus, you change. You just do. You can't have a relationship with the living God and not change. And I had a friend say to me, I met Jesus and nothing happened. Well, guess what? You didn't meet God. It is impossible for you with your three-pound fallen brain to encounter the creator of the entire immeasurable universe and have nothing happen. You may have learned about him, but not connected with him. For some, change comes fast and others slow. But everyone who knows Jesus changes. Are you learning about Jesus? I lost my slide there. Um, especially those of you who have been a follower of Jesus for a long time, I want to say this. We can never declare that we have learned all there is to know about Jesus. There is always something new to learn. And for those of you who don't know, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Jesus says in John 5, 39... When he's talking with religious leaders, he says you you study the scriptures trying to find life but fail to realize the whole part, the whole point of your Bible is me and yet you don't come to me for life. If you keep reading your Bible and twisting it to be all about you, then you're going to puff up with knowledge and completely miss the opportunity to be in a relationship with the one whom the Bible is all about. To be transformed him from the inside out. Verse 22 through 24, putting on and taking off. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put, off, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There we go. Now as you read your Bible, you're going to see more and more the problem is your sin, and you want to take that off, and the answer is Jesus. You want to put that on. The daily act of taking off your sin and putting on Christ's righteousness. When you get dressed in the morning and undressed every night, I want you to remember Ephesians 4. Today, I'm going to take off sin, and I'm going to put on Christ's righteousness. And as you spend time reading the Bible daily, your thoughts are going to be renewed, your mind is going to be reoriented, and and some progress will start to be made. As Christians, we must continually take off sinful ways of thinking and doing and put on new ways of thinking and doing. Ask yourself, what is it I have put on? Misconceptions, stupid, foolish thinking, habits or daily patterns? Ask yourself, how did I get here? If being closer to Jesus is the goal, then define that goal and work your way backwards. Just like for some of you, if you ever say, one day I'd like to own a home. Okay, so that's your goal, you have to define it now backwards. Now I need to save up for down payment, i got to find a house in my price range. Define your goal and, and live, your, live your life backwards. So you might say, huh, my credit card is maxed. And this one, and this one. Maybe I shouldn't have credit cards. When I'm alone with my girlfriend at 2 o'clock in the morning and we're snuggling, stuff happens. Maybe we should only hang out in the daytime around other people. But I just can't help myself. Sure, you can. Right now, you're not doing those things. You don't go to IGA and do those things around the baked goods. You guys have self-control. You can do this. So look at what you've gotten yourself into and work your way backwards. So I was thinking these things, doing these things, which led to these actions, which takes me to a place I no longer want to go. Admit it. Say to yourself, I was being foolish, stubborn, prideful. So now it's time to put on. Am Am I using all the opportunities that I've been given to do the things that God has prepared for me to do? Or am I just filling up my time with all kinds of sinful thinking and habits that are not bringing me closer to Jesus and are a waste of time? Once a year or every quarter, look at your time and your money and ask yourself, are these the good works that God has prepared for me in advance to do? If not, take them off and put on the good works that he has prepared for you to do. Ask, God, is this where my time should go? God, is this where my money should go? If what you're doing isn't bringing you closer to Jesus, take off, put on. The only person stopping you from doing those good works is you. So take off and put on. So here's a great question. In a perfect world, and for those of you note takers, write this down, in a perfect world, what would you be doing rather than the sins and foolish habits you have right now? So for some of you, it might be video games. If you're doing like 30 hours a week of video games, you could, pl- you could do it like a master's degree in theology with that amount of time. Think about what you're spending your time on. Ask others for advice. Here's some more practical adv- advice from me. If, if you're a good student, what are you doing to be at the top of your class? Or some of you might say, I hate my boss, but you seem to like yours. How do you get along? I struggle with prayer. You have a prayer room? Tell me about that. Ask other people. We all know people that are better in, in, our, in areas of life than, than you might struggle with. Ask someone else. If you struggle with finances, ask someone who's actually good at it. If you see, um, if you're a young family, you just got married or going to get married, staring right at you, man. Find someone who has a great marriage and ask them questions. You have three children. You seem to like them. How is this going? I don't understand. It's okay to ask questions. Bring a, no- bring a notebook and uh, write down some, some great r- wisdom. So it's time to be honest. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Why does Paul have to say this? Because you are a liar. I am a liar. We all lie. And our goal is not to be close to Jesus most of the time, but to look good and be people pleasers. How are you doing? We all ask this question as you walk by. Hey, how are you doing? Great. Everything's good in my home. Can I pray for you? No, I'm perfect. But those people over there by the coffee, they're horrible. You should go pray for them. You need, yeah, no more questions. I'm good. Are you lying? Yes. You know all that stuff, that sin stuff, You know, that stuff that Jesus died for? Now I know what he's talking about. I've been reading the Bible, and I realize I'm doing most of it. I need God and prayer, so come back. We need a great community of believers that will always be honest with you, that will call you out on the silly things you're doing and saying, what you're doing is horrible, and I love you. Not just the people who say, oh, I completely understand You confirm my sin, I'll justify yours. Our little lawyers will be in complete agreement, but no one gets closer to Jesus. You want honest friends, the ones that you can count on to be there for you in the hard times. I love you. Take that off. Put this on. What you're doing right now is wrong. Because if you're ignorant and becoming hard-hearted to your sin, wouldn't you want a friend to call you out on it so you can quickly repent and come back to Jesus? So here's your homework for today. I want you to read verses 26 through 32 and evaluate your thoughts and actions in light of the previous seven questions I've given you today. And remember, the difference between the sins of omission and commission is not just the things you do, but also the things you fail to do sometimes. Because the Holy Spirit may may not be done with you today, I want you to spend some time thinking especially about that one sin that the Holy Spirit brought to mind today. If today you've actually been thinking, Mike's talking directly to me and I'm quite offended. It's not me. I'm just delivering the mail. I didn't write the mail. So I want you to do some more work with the Holy Spirit today. Martin Luther said that a Christian's life is one of daily repentance. The more we repent, the further we get from sin, and the closer we get to Jesus, and the closer we get to each other. And that is what I want for this church with all my heart. Hard words make soft hearts, and soft words make hard hearts, and I honestly believe this. And I know I've used some hard and direct words with you today, because I want you all to have soft, repentant hearts. But there is good news there is hope in Christ. There's change in Christ. There's transformation in Christ. There's joy in Christ. There's truth in Christ. There's a new newness of spirit in Christ. And there's nothing more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has extended himself to all of us. He's called you to take off your old life and put on his. And I'm calling you for faith in Jesus Christ today. You have no hope apart from Christ Morality, self-help, religion, it is all meaningless. You need Jesus. If you haven't made a commitment to Jesus, you can learn more about him. Say a prayer and invite him into your heart today and get on track to intimately know Jesus. Name your sins and confess them to him. Then, when you're ready, talk with a Christian friend or church leader about being baptized. We will then invite you to be baptized And make a public confession of your faith. But I know some of you don't even know what that word baptism is. When Christians are baptized, they fulfill the command of Jesus in Matthew 28 19 and 20 to be submerged in water to identify with the death of Jesus, to rise out of the water to identify with his resurrection. And this identification with his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism testifies to the fact that we believe in faith that Jesus died for our sins was buried. He rose three days later and is now alive and Lord over all creation. And when you get the opportunity to see baptisms, you'll see the person about to be baptized talking with a church leader in the tank. And they'll ask questions such as, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that your sin has separated you from God? Have you repented of those sins Do you believe that Jesus died and rose, conquering Satan, sin, and death? Do you want to seek after and follow him for the rest of your life? And then they will say, We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.